This week on the show, we have the FreeBSD Foundation reviews of 2021 activities. Dragonfly BSD 6.2.1 is out. Lumina Desktop 1.6.2 is available. Toolchain Adventures, we talk about the OpenBSD-based challenge uh, and Bastis templates for AdGuard Home, as well as setting up a Z shell on FreeBSD and more. This week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 438, Toolchain Adventures, recorded on the 12th of January 2022. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash BSD Now for the online backup for truly paranoids. And if you want to support this show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash BSD Now for various perks like ad-free episodes and other stuff. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Tom Jones. Welcome. This is our first recording in 2022. We're happy to have made it this far. And uh, so let me start with a nice quote that I found that would be, uh, that I found appropriate for beginning of a New Year's recording. Uh, so the, Zen, the Japanese Zen poet Ryokan Taigu once said, last year, a foolish monk. This year, no change. <laughs> Benedict, I didn't know we were bringing poems. Yeah, sometimes. But when, uh, when the muse is uh, striking me, I can't pretend. Ah, yeah, <laughs> but like, this is, this is set to go out on like Burns Night, and I don't have a Burns poem prepared. <laughs> okay, so let's check out the headlines. We have headlines. So these are basically wrapping up last year, 2021, remember? Uh, here's the FreeBSD Foundation review of various activities that they did throughout the year. Uh, so they have a couple of uh, longer articles and we, we're not reading the whole of it, but we'll provide enough content for you to uh, find it and click on it on the uh, show notes here and get uh, to read the final bits on your own. So here's the first part uh, about the software development they did in 2021. And they did a significant change. Uh, I know also, since I'm also on the, on the board of the directors, so I get these things as well. Um, the FreeBSD Foundation added to our technical staff this year to increase our sponsored development while continuing grant funding for individual projects. And here they'll review and highlight the work they took in 2021. So uh, the foundation staff and grant recipients made 1,468 sponsored commits to the source tree, 42 of those to the doc tree, and 162 to the port tree, uh, which represents a growth over from 2020 to uh, of 70%, 37 and 75% respectively in each of those categories. And they started the year with a technical staff of three and finished with eight full-time technical staff members, contractors as well, and had two cooperative education students from the University of Waterloo join them for the spring 2021 term. And as usual, the staff supported the project with the bug triage and fixes, supported security advisories and errata updates, participated in code reviews to help contributors make submissions to FreeBSD, and also the ongoing support of operational needs for the project and development of a number of features and improvements that we all enjoy and sometimes uh, don't give enough credit for. That's why we're doing these. There's also uh, various individual bits, like the, the Git transition. This is probably one of the major parts they, they were involved with. Could use integration, the CI infrastructure, bringing that up to date and uh, the efforts there. 
syscaller and kernel sanitizers, vulnerability mitigations. Yes, they still happen and they need to be mitigated and patched so that they are not uh, vulnerable anymore or not as uh, dangerous. Then the 64-bit ARM architecture got a lot of uh, changes now that Andrew Turner joined the team and that uh, gave the ARM64 efforts or ARCH64 as some people call it, uh, a bit more of a push. Then they also improved the AMD64 UEFI boot, as well as the VFS path descriptors. And each of those items have a longer uh, section up uh, below them, so you can read uh, those that interest you. OpenSSH updates prototype installer. So that was the idea. I think we covered that on the show as well. So yeah, to we have a look at what this looks like or could look like. Containerization, Intel Wi-Fi driver support, which a lot of people were looking forward to, and I think that's well underway, as well as small feature enhancements and other work. They also cover the the grants that the project ha has supported in the last year. And so a big one of these was improvements to the Linux Ulator um, uh, application compatibility layer, which allows you to run unmodified Linux binaries on FreeBSD. Um, and so if you like gaming, this is a chance for a path towards um, Linux games. So all the stuff in Steam uh, that runs on Linux running on FreeBSD. And there's been big step forwards on that. And there's a wiki page that covers it. There's been improvements in a LLDB CPU target support and LLDB support for user land and kernel debugging. Uh, and LLDB is the LLVM project's uh, debugger, and it's a replacement for GDB. And this work was contracted up to Mortez Systems, which we've covered a couple of times in the show. Um, the foundation also supported online RAID Z expansion, which is just one paragraph here, and I'm sure there's more coming. And adapting op the open crypto framework for, for WireGuard. And WireGuard landed at the start of last year, uh, and now it's seeing improvements to the, the cryptographic frameworks there. Very nice. And who or what makes all these things possible? Well, fundraising efforts or people putting money in the foundation's bank account so that they can actually sponsor development or other efforts like this to improve FreeBSD as a project. And here's the year-end fundraising report they did. First of all, they want to thank, of course, all the individuals and organizations who gave a financial contribution in even a big or a small way. And uh, they believe that it shows the value of the work they are doing to support FreeBSD and that uh, your trust in them is uh, how we will invest your money in the project wisely or in the areas where, well, where it's needed, right? And without your donations, we couldn't have grown our team, which have enabled us to increase the support we provided to more areas of FreeBSD. Like we mentioned, the uh, added team members, they uh, were paid this way and that also resulted in more development happening. So uh, again, the FreeBSD Foundation is a 501c3 public charity for the public good. And in addition, they are 100% funded by donations from individuals and organizations uh, like yeah, big and small individual people or uh, corporations. So as uh, of this writing, December 28th, that is, uh, they're in the final week of the 2021 fundraising effort, and they had raised by December 27. 1,180,662 US dollars towards the goal of uh, a million and uh, 250,000. So they're getting close. And I'm not sure about whether they have the latest um, donations in because some people sent checks and they aren't uh, cashed yet. So, but I think they're pretty close, if not uh, reaching that goal already. So thanks. When does the year end, Benedict? Oh, the, the fiscal year? Um, that could be either the December 31st or they have a couple of days in January to you know cash in these late checks that didn't arrive in time in the mail. Ah, oh, cool. I mean, it'd be good to see if they got there. 
yeah, and it shows that people like this uh, development and want to support further, uh, you know, staff and other things we just read in the other article. So thanks to everyone who donated. Another part is infrastructure support. It's not just, you know, paying people to do some work. It's also, hey, who's running the development servers? Or, oh, the servers are quite old. Let's buy some new hardware. Yeah, so we have an update from the, the cluster admin team. Uh, the cluster admin team provides many services, such as ensuring that the project's equipment is running reliably. Uh, they have a full chart or available that's linked from the post. Um, with an essential role, the FreeBSD Foundation contributes to the cluster admin administration by purchasing and helping to maintain hardware support to FreeBSD infrastructure. And there's a couple of things they bought in the, the last year. Um, the SSD-backed packaging gate mirror for the US East Coast, which I'm sure helps people far away from me. Uh, new servers for the Seagate web interface. New server to host websites um, like uh, www.docs.cgi.ftp-sync. New web servers to run the FreeBSD Bugzilla instance. Um, and apparently the old hardware was uh, causing the services to time out, and so they should be better now. Uh, new web server hosts for reviews.freebsd.org. New Git servers. Two new servers for EXP runs uh, to keep the, the ports folks happy. Uh, a new FTP and package mirror for Malaysia, which is uh, a great location to be in. Uh, four mm -hmm. new Ampere EMAG package builders for ARM64 packages. Uh, reference servers. Um, which host jails that FreeBSD committers can access to test source and ports commits on ARM64. Uh, this was one of the requirements for ARM going ARM64 going tier one for FreeBSD 13, and a new server to build FreeBSD update for ARM64. Uh, and so that is this is another big place that the money for the foundation's donations go is is running the infrastructure and keeping things going. Mm. Yeah, for everyone who has run similar infrastructure, they know how costly this could be. And so this is uh, also appreciated. Okay, so now we have developers and infrastructure they can work on, but no one knows about the project, right? So the next piece here is about advocacy, telling the people about the work we're doing and the project. Uh, and here's the note from December 21st. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's that time again. We're looking back at how we advocated for FreeBSD over the past year. Like just for many of you, 2021 did not quite turn out as we had hoped. However, Foundation staff continue to navigate the unknown while working together to expand the ways to spread the word about FreeBSD. And we were even lucky enough to grow the advocacy team. And so they had a couple of events, mostly online, where they presented FreeBSD and uh, told people about what we're doing. Uh, while we were only able to attend one in-person event this past year, we were still able to sponsor, present, and organize 22 events in 2021, including the June 2021 FreeBSD Developer Summit and the November 2021 vendor summit and videos of the summits can be found on the project's youtube channel which is linked from the show notes they also provided webinars how-to guides and blogs about anything from introduction to bastille bsd how to submit a patch to freebsd how to track freebsd using git and others what's new in freebsd 13 and interesting uh, newcomer articles for example there's also the freebsd journal which is a free publication for the people who still don't know about this. It's free. You can download these every second month. There's interesting articles about topics around FreeBSD uh, from authors like well, Tom and myself. Yeah, there's, a, there's <laughs> an excellent uh, column by Benedict that... Um, ah, yes, yeah. tools, uh, practical, yeah, practical ports. ports. Um, <laughs> and uh, starting this year, there's a column uh, from myself covering... Um, projects that are work in progress or that need help for testing. So there's there's new stuff coming through. 
and there's always mm. a, a great selection of, of writers with themed issues. So, yeah, I don't think this podcast ever mentions the FreeBSD journal. Yeah, we should do yeah, this more often, it's right? Weird, right? Because we it's won't not like we're <laughs> we shouldn't hide these things. Uh, then there's newsletters and quarterly status reports, and also uh, new staff in the marketing department so that they can uh, double the marketing work or get twice the number of words out. Yeah, and the, uh, the 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 marketing team did a great job of uh, showing us the donation goal, and Benedict and I both missed it. The very top of the page, um, it has the <laughs> oh right, the there it is, one point two five million dollar goal, and then the current donations at one two seven zero one eight five. So they hit the goal, ah, through quite a bit, um, and so that's really good. Um, but with all that money in the bank, um, maybe there's there's some way that they could. Uh, feed some of it back to you. And so for 2022, the FreeBSD Foundation has a call for proposals. Um, the FreeBSD Foundation is soliciting the submission of project proposals for funded development. So they'll they'll pay you to work on FreeBSD. Uh, and then they refer you to the guideline documents. Um, so the overview and the submission guidelines and the FreeBSD technology roadmap, which I'm going to admit I've never looked at. Um, and they also link to a wiki page, um, which is a collection of stuff that came from some calls on the mailing list. And so there's loads of ideas in there. Um, and they say successful completion of many of the contributed ideas, such as uh, Raspberry Pi hardware improvements, support for XFAT file system, and adding Capscom and more applications would be beneficial to the project and have clear deliverables. However, please do not feel limited to these topics. We welcome proposals with other ideas for improving the base system, the port street documentation, or other areas. If you think your project uh, will benefit, if you think your proposal will benefit the project, we will consider it. Um, and I'm not on the FreeBSD Foundation, but I'm, I always get the impression that they'd be very willing to hear out any ideas and explain why things might not be right right now if they're not not a good idea, not uh, something they want to fund. And so it, I, it's really safe. If you have the uh, availability and you want to work on FreeBSD and be paid for it, it's a great time to submit. Oh yeah especially when there's a lot of people needing the same functionality, the chances are higher that we are actually working on them if no one else picks it up. Okay, that's about the efforts from the FreeBSD Foundation and maybe the other uh, foundations like OpenBSD or NetBSD have similar reports we could cover in future episodes. And uh, this next article that we have here is about the new Dragonfly BSD. 6.2.1 is out. Ah, okay, so what's new here? Ah, this is the next step in the 6.2.1. X release series, and this version has hardware support for Type 2 hypervisors with NVMM, an AMD GPU driver, experimental ability to remote mount Hammer 2 volumes, oh, interesting, and many other changes. So the, yeah, these are the big ticket items. The NVMM, a Type 2 hypervisor for hardware-supported virtualization. Didn't they, did they port that from NetBSD? Uh, they they must have done. It's the same name. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> otherwise it's like, why? Why is that the name? This is similar. Um, then there's GrowFS support added to Hammer 2 for changing the size of an existing Hammer 2 volume. And XDisk included in the build, which makes remote Hammer 2 disks uh, mountable, which is which has a big black experimental behind it. So be careful with this, but apparently it's workable in some way, but still has some warts here and there. Uh, then DRM AMD GPU driver got imported matching Linux 4.91 support as well as DRM slash TTM updated to match. Oh, nice. They provide, of course, uh, detailed upgrading instructions and 
some extra details. Yeah, everything that they changed since the last prior release. Very nice. Yeah, it seems like uh, we don't hear that much from them or uh, used to get a little bit more in the past uh, from what they're doing. But it's good to see that Dragonfly is still active and putting out yeah, releases. Yeah, it'd be great to interview someone involved in the project to see. Yeah, someone who could tell us a bit what they're working on or yeah, I, anything from uh, their perspective. I, I think a lot of the early like um, Linux graphic stuff originated in Dragonfly, and for for a while they were very far ahead, mm -hmm. uh, especially FreeBSD. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to know what applications Dragonfly is being put to as well in 2022. Yeah, so you hear, you heard it here first. If you know someone or you are with the Dragonfly BSD project, let us know. Uh, reach out to feedback at bsdnow.tv and then we'll arrange an interview. Okay, there's also news in the news roundup for you with also a new release of Lumina Desktop. It's 1.6.2. And so what's new there? Ah, here it is. Uh, they list uh, that the updates in this release include Lumina Check Pass has been disabled. They mistakenly enabled this in the 1.6.1 release. After speaking with uh, Ken more about this, uh, he reminded them that this is the part of the yet unfinished unified desktop. As such, it is not needed with the current releases and has been disabled from being built by default. Ah, okay. So then the second item is the open as root option in Lumina FM should now be available again to all users of the Lumina desktop as a result of the next item in the list. And that is the QSudo code from PCBSD Tro as Project Trident that has been merged into Lumina desktop as a default utility. So you have that available. And it's a graphical utility that was originally written for PCBSD for when a GUI application needed sudo access. And historically this was used by the PCBSD package manager, uh, but has also been included in Lumina going forward. And for packages, you can disable this in the project file if you desire. But if you do this, also disable the open as root feature in Lumina file manager as well as a result. Then the icon for the application panel and user menu is now uh, able to be customized as the start menu icon has been. And this option is available in Lumina configuration under general options. Then there was a bug uh, prevented preventing the user from setting the Fluxbox window theme in Lumina config that has been fixed. And so you can still, or already uh, set this option. Uh, the default initial size of the Lumina config has been increased to make scrolling not necessary when initially starting the utility. Okay. And the title of the Lumina archiver displayed in the Windows title bar has been corrected. Uh, two of the Lumina icons that were low-grade PNGs have been replaced with scalable SVG icons. Desktops should, should have that. <laughs> Depending on how big your screen is, you might want to have a uh, not so jaggy icon. Then several build scripts for various distros have been added to the Lumina port directory. Users should use the packages provided by the distro. However, they have uh, or this have been included to assist in the packaging efforts for the distros and as an archival record of what was required for each distribution. And as well, last but not least, docs have been updated to reflect that the minimum Qt version for Lumina is 5.12.0. Very nice. And, and finally, they have a, a request uh, for developers. Um, there's a note to developers looking for a project to contribute to. I'll be making a post shortly about these items, but I figured I'd go ahead and touch on the matter now. There are a few larger tasks in Lumina where my skills are lacking, and I would greatly appreciate some assistance. If there's anyone experiencing C++ and or Qt and would be willing to contribute to Lumina under a three-clause BSD license, please reach out. 
Again, I'll make a separate post. Hopefully we'll cover that so that we can get a bit more attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a good news resolution for people who know programming to help an open source project like this. Uh, that's always appreciated, getting a bit of help. Okay, next up in the news, we have um, Toolchain's Adventures Q4 2021, because you know your adventures are good when you have them quarterly. Um, this is uh, Fr Frederick Cambus uh, on canvas.net. Uh, and, and he writes, this is the third post in my Toolchain's Adventures series. Please read the introduction and the Q3 2021 report if you want to get more context about this journey. The fourth quarter of 2021 started out in the best ways possible. I've been granted commit access to the LLVM project. During the first part of October, I did commit a couple of micro-optimizations to save compiler drivers, along with small improvements in various places highlighted in the commit list at the end of this post. At the end of the month, I attended the OpenBSD H2K21 hackathon in Giovia, Portugal. During the hackathon, I spent some time doing builds of LLVM from our base system to do measurements and evaluate if it could make sense to build our toolchain with full LTO optimizations enabled. While full LTO builds would be out of the question as our developers regularly build snapshots of the base system and often on laptops, thin LTO typically achieves a good compromise between optimizations and resource usage. Unfortunately, my experiment didn't prove conclusive and I quickly grew tired of waiting hours between each run to check the results. I used LLVM 11.1.0 at the time and retesting more recently with LLVM 13 on a four CPU virtual machine with 16 gig of RAM gave similar results. Running time make j4 in user source GNU user.bing clang after applying modifications to enable building with thin LTO resulted in a 7.3 increase in build time. Then, using the newly built thin LTO optimized toolchain, I rebuilt uh, an optimized LVM again, and the build was only 1.1% faster than the previous run. Those preliminary benchmarks measuring only build time make me think there's little point in enabling th thin LTO alone at this moment and it should be coupled with PGO profile guided optimization to be worth considering. For the record, here is the diff I used. Um, and there's some more diffs and some comments on warnings. Um, on the last day of the hackathon, I packaged ElfCat, which is a neat elf visualizer generating interactive HTML files from elf binaries. In November, I built GWCheck, a small tool for a small tool to display uh, .gnu.warning.star sections in ELF objects along with their content in order to check which other projects use them. So far, aside from OpenBSD, it turns out that FreeBSD, NetBSD, and Dragonfly, Dragonfly all use these sections in their libc, and that glibc, newlib, dietlibc, and microlibc, ulibc, do as well. I then added a comment about my findings in the LLVM bug tracker about adding support in LLD to generate linker warnings when encountering them. Uh, regarding LLVM itself, I added support in LLVM read object for reading ELF core notes from both OpenBSD and NetBSD. Notes generated in these core files provide additional information about kernel state and CPU registers. These notes are described in the core manual pages for each of the operating systems. Here's a link to OpenBSD and NetBSD. I have not much to report in package source land for this quarter. The only tool chains related commit I got the chance to make was updating the mold linker at 1.0.0. And there's a nice list of LLVM commits at the end. It's a nice status update for open source compiler hacking. Oh yeah, very much so.
Uh, then we have the OpenBSD based challenge. Uh, so this is already at day seven, uh, at least at this time of the recording. Uh, so what's the OpenBSD based challenge? For that, you have to scroll down a little bit further down in the link that we provided. And in the spirit of New Year's resolutions and the popular Linux tech tips, Linux gaming challenge on YouTube, they have decided to take on the OpenBSD based challenge. Starting January 1st, 2022, for 30 days, I will use only OpenBSD 7.0 current plus links plus toot, T O O T, on both my desktop PC. Toot, is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, for, yeah, for Mastodon. Yeah, for okay, got it. I was toot. like, huh, toot, root. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on both my desktop PC and ThinkPad T420, I will daily journal my learning experience and upload my adventures to this blog via my PinePhone. And so well, that's kind of a nice challenge. So they started off, uh, the window manager will be based, uh, or the base CWM, calm window manager. The terminal will be Xterm. Well, that's really basic, but it works. Uh, Xset root will be used background colors or to change those or set them. Links plus and toot, CLI, ah, here it is, the CLI Mastodon client will be the only third-party packages installed. And this is meant to be an educational experience to get more in tuned with the OpenBSD base utilities and man page. So that's kind of an interesting challenge. And it's going for 30 days. And so here uh, there's some screenshots in the, from the other days, how it looks like at the moment. And there's plenty of good tools in there or tips for beginners, like how to set your prompt in your KSHRC or other parts where you have drivers to configure or binding mouse uh, keys to a certain uh, button or that that is kind of good to have as config files so check out the whole uh, block and the others uh, or the other you know follow-up days that are being published so there's plenty of good stuff in there that you can use and get familiar with obviously a little bit more the last one that we have here is day seven talking about rcctl uh, to control your daemons and make them uh or let the RC service uh, doing the proper work that you only want to do, nothing else. Cool, very nice, interesting challenge. Good, good, something to start uh, the year and to learn something uh, new. All right, next in the news, we have uh, a template from the Bastille BSD project, and we have a Bastille template, AdGuard Home. AdGuard Home is a network-wide software for blocking ads and tracking. And so it's a network level um, ad blocker um, and then, so just so you don't, don't remember, uh, Bastille is an open source system for automating deployment and management of containerized applications on FreeBSD. Um, and so this is an uh, this is a template showing how to deploy AdGuard Home on top of your Bastille installation. Bastille is more than just lightweight containers for FreeBSD. The template command allows you to automatically deploy a wide range of software. This post begins as a series highlighting examples of popular applications using Bastille and FreeBSD. We begin the series with something I run in my home lab. I run three instances, if I'm honest, uh, a network-wide service for blocking ads and online tracking, AdGuard Home. AdGuard Home provides a privacy-focused DNS server in your home network, giving you network-wide blocking of ads and tracking. This means ad blocking for phones, laptops, desktops, TVs, and any other internet-connected device in your home all in one place. No apps to install or browser plugins to update. Simply point everything in to the AdGuard Home servers and you're done. As I mentioned, I run three instances in my home lab supporting 50 devices. The dashboard results have been enlightening and understanding DNS behavior on my network. Who knew streaming device connected to my TV would be a top offender? 
I could have told you that. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to run AdGuard Home with Bastille, follow these steps. Um, and just in quick summary, you run Bastille Bootstrap, and it bootstraps. Uh, Bastille Create AdGuard Home, uh, and then the FreeBSD release is your base for the jail, I'm guessing. Um, yep, and it tells you all the taps, steps. And then Bastille Template AdGuard Home uh, and then the, the URL inside Bastille BSD, which is Bastille BSD hyphen template slash AdGuard home. And it sets everything up. Um, and then, then it's ready to go. Now that the container is running, you can access the service through the host machine. Using the redirected ports on TCP 80 and UDP 53, we can now point to the host system IP address and access the container service. In this example, the IP of the host machine is 192.168.86.2. Entering that IP in my browser will show the AdGuard home login page. The template sets the username to AdGuard and Bastille BSD. And then it's how you have to change the password. Um, yeah, and so this seems like a really straightforward way to, to run templated applications. Oh, yeah. And give yourself uh, a little less ads in 2022. So it's, That's... Yeah, it's a great step towards um, being more Docker-like on FreeBSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to containerize these services and yeah, very good. I like that. And uh, we found some popular article or a post on uh, the Twitters uh, about setting up ZShell on FreeBSD uh, by Dan Schmidt. And so he writes on his blog how to do this. And first of all, what is ZShell for the people who have been living under a rock uh, <laughs> for a while? ZShell is the Swiss army knife of shells, he writes. It combines the most popular features of all the other shells and can be customized to our needs. Users of Born and C-style shells will feel right at home. ZShell offers smart completion, spell checking, and is fully extensible through plugins. So you can easily install the ZShell with the following command. So he's using do as here. So pkg install ZSH. To be able to use ZSH as a default shell, we have to do the following. So change shell-s ZSH and then the username you want to set this for. And what is oh my ZShell? Oh my ZShell is an open source community-driven framework for managing our ZShell configuration. It provides plugins for things like Ansible, Bazel, Git, Tmux, etc. It's fully customizable and offers dozens of different themes. Sounds boring. Let's try it again. Oh, my ZShell won't make us a 10 times faster developer, but it will make us feel like one. So here's how you can install that. So you do as pkg install oh my ZSH, one word, no dashes. If we have an existing ZShell config file, we will back it up first with the following command. So cp.cshrc from your home directory to uh, dot orage or backup or whatever you want to call it. Then we create a new fresh ZShell config file from user local share on my ZShell templates, ZShell ZSH-template, and that you copy to your home directory, ZShell RC, and then you're set to go. Then you're welcome to take a closer look at the config file. It's pretty uh, well documented. Please have no hesitation to customize it to your liking. Yeah, remove some stuff you don't need or like because otherwise it's too much bloated. Uh, that's at least my uh, experience. Oh, my ZShell also comes with many pre-made themes. Just have a couple uh, look at examples he provides and you can easily change it in the config file. Furthermore, oh, my ZShell can be extended by plugins and then you have <laughs> even more work to do or even more configuration, but it's certainly cool. Currently, there are about 270 plugins available. Uh, there's a whole list he provides uh, and you have a look. There are many useful plugins available. 
and he has a screenshot of his. So what kind of things you can do there in terms of Git shortcuts and that makes your life a lot easier. What are you using, Tom? I, I, as I, I use ZSH. Uh, I, ah, don't use, I don't use this. Um, <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like, oh, let's manually configure these things in your shell RC file and not download what everyone else is doing. Because I get <laughs> stuff in there I don't understand. And then if something breaks, I have no way of fixing what, what it. Does, what does your prompt look like, Benedict? Do you have the current working directory in it? Uh, oh, I, no, I only have tilde if I'm at home. And if I'm somewhere else, let's go to temp here real quick. And then it's just, oh, it's just the last bit of the the path like if it's a long like use a local bin then it's just bin but th that means like your prompt size changes as you move around it's like base naming your pwd uh yeah that does it oh i don't, I don't but i think that. it's limited to a certain number of characters <laughs> so it doesn't overflow i yeah next time we'll meet we'll exchange i, I, I mean I, I have i mean uh, it's probably leaked out into articles i've written for clara um i, I need to find a shell <laughs> Um, I have a username at host because I connect to a lot of remote machines. Yeah, and then, ZSH and then or SSH. That, 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 that's it. I mean, like... It's just that, yeah. yeah. I used to have um, on the right, the current time, like there's a right prompt and a left prompt. And on the right prompt, I put in the, the time, but I removed it since I copied a couple of stuff. You copied the time uh, of the stuff. Examples, and it always had the, the current time of day on it. It was kind of bad to remove it each time. Uh but yeah, people have their own. Uh, and a lot of uh, ZHLRCs you can find on GitHub and just mix and match. It's, it's always really funny to me, like when I use like a, a Linux distribution, like the 3D printers of the hackerspace, and it has mm. the path, but then I like CD like 12 directories deep. And I'm like, okay, now I'm typing a line below and I get two characters on this line. Why does anybody <laughs> want this? Export PS1 equals dollar space. Done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah many of these things are now part of muscle memory. It, it's too hard to use someone else's computer it just hurts too yeah, much i know it's completely even like vim configurations like how do you why do you rename all your keys and where are they how do i even close this thing <laughs> but yeah if that that makes it productive for them then i seldomly let people use my computer anyway so <laughs> they can't use my stuff i can't use theirs Next up, we feature our uh, feedback and questions section, but we should always mention the sponsor for this episode, which is Tarsnap. Tarsnap has been sponsoring this episode or this podcast uh, for a number of months and years now even. Uh, and we are quite happy customers of Tarsnap because they provide the actual service we love because it's from a utility that we know, Tar, based on Tar, Tarsnap was built and it has the bells and whistles we need but nothing else it's very plain and simple it's giving us the online backups to be truly paranoid about because we could look into the source code for any kind of backdoors or things they're doing with our data in the meantime while we're not looking tarsnap is our backup solution of choice we'll uh, have some files that should not be going out onto some uh provider's web server or their backup service in the cloud unencrypted but tarsnap is encrypting all of this locally before all our files leave our disks they always get encrypted first and you will hopefully find tarsnap a good solution for your own backup needs and use the service sooner rather than later
we are jumping right into the feedback and questions. Uh, we have a producer's note, so that uh, is about what we did at the beginning, well, about Christmas time. Uh, remember where we did our Q&A with all four of us, uh, BSD Now people before and behind the camera or behind the microphone. And we have a producer's note from JT. Uh, we did get some Christmas AMA questions in after we recorded that episode. That was kind of late, so we couldn't put that in anymore. Uh, but we recorded this early. Uh, but don't worry. Uh, we've made a note of them and we'll save them for our next AMA episode, which may be before next Christmas, maybe in the summer if, if, if we are in the mood for that. And so we'll reuse your questions that you send us so they don't get lost or you don't need to resend them. Okay, the first one is Patrick who sent us a question to feedback at bsdnow.tv. And Patrick writes, although it's not an issue on a desktop machine where I have external speakers with their own volume control, an issue I have on my laptop is that sometimes the volume is not loud enough even when I turn it all the way up in software, uh, like KMix under Plasma 5. And even when I set hw.snd.vpc underscore 0db equals one with the sysctl, uh, I tried the mixer command and found that the value of mix was 75. Setting is uh, it to 100 helped some. Is there anything else I can do to boost volume in FreeBSD? Um, I mean, so um, there's a new mixer in 14. And so anything we say now won't be relevant. Um, I think until 13, if you did mixer, um, there's like five outputs or so. It depends on what your sound card is. But for me, there are always loads of outputs. Um, mm. And did mixer of all like 100 is, is, very, is, is full. Um, there might also be an O gain that you can play with. It just depends on your card. Um, I found that I never understood why that Firefox on FreeBSD was really quiet compared to like other stuff. Mm. And so I would always be raising and lowering the volume between that and a music player. Um, but yeah, this is all changed now. So I have no idea. The, the new mixer syntax is different and it confuses me. So I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. So I'm using Mixer 2E text user interface from ports, uh, but it's similar. I think it even needs a, an entry in loader.con for a module to be loaded. Not sure anymore, but where you have some like an end cursor style where you can, you know, increase the bars to 100%. But it still thing. doesn't give you the full, <laughs> the full uh, blaring volume that you're used to. Okay, uh, next piece of feedback we have is from Reptilicus Rex. That's wrong. Um, and they they have written to say, I just wanted to compliment the docs team on the new look layout of the handbook. It looks really good, simple and clean and uncluttered. Thanks. Yeah, and I I have to agree. It looks it looks amazing. I was really really impressed to see it come through. Oh yeah, that's uh, most of the issue or most of the work was done by Sergio Calavia. Hopefully that's proper pronunciation. He did all the uh, work behind the scenes and you know advocated for it and gave us uh, impressions and screenshots how it would look like and we were kind of wow you can do this this would be very uh, good and uh, yeah we got a lot of positive feedback like this and so uh, if it helps you also find documentation easier about FreeBSD then all the better to have a modern uh, UI in front of it he's also working on a website refresh of sorts so don't quote me on that <laughs> <laughs> but it will happily uh, have maybe a similar uh, layout so that it's all one look and feel. Okay, and last but not least is Michael with a question. Michael writes, hello, enjoying the show. Good to hear. In episode 432, you asked for questions. Since you asked for it, here's a question I've been holding on to. 
let me preface it by uh, saying that I've been posts. I've seen posts of people quite happy with ZFS on NetBSD. So audience members should conclude anything from my problem about how mature NetBSD support is. Oh, and also the kernel gives the message warning ZFS on NetBSD is under development. Okay, fair enough. At startups, so there's that. I'm running 9.2 stable on an Elitebook 8440P with four gigs of RAM and a 5,400 RPM spinning disk. Also not of recent vintage. Yeah, well, I have a 108 gig uh, set pool on it uh, of the disk slice that I've used for home, but also for user slash package source and user PKG. Quarterly, I update package source using CVS and find it to take a surprisingly long time. It's an old underpowered machine, but still not heavily loaded when I run these updates. Usually, I have less than one gig memory active and the CPU is mostly idle. There's really no reason for me to have a machine newer than 10 or 15 years. During an update, I noticed that the state of the CVS process in top is usually ZFS uh, CV slash 2, maybe sometimes slash 3 or another number. When I run KTrust against CVS, the slow syscalls appear to be unlink, rename, and rmdir. These calls generally take from 60 to 200 milliseconds per file or directory. Oh, that's long. Maybe this is when CVS updates uh, its main CVS subdirectories. So I wonder what your reaction to 200 millisecond RM deer is. This can't be normal on the 5,400 RPM disk. Not sure. So, but ZTB shows my A shift to be nine. From the time I first installed NetBSD nine to some more recent update, I've noticed that new message in ZPool status output. One or more devices are configured to use a non-native block size. Expect reduced performance. Ah, but I thought Alan said in recent episode that you likely not get a big cause for concern. It's a little weird too, because smart CTL shows the drive's logical sector size to be 512, but yes, it also lists the physical as 4096. ZDB shows a version number of 5,000. Well, that's yeah, uh, pretty much everywhere. I don't use DDAP. User package source is on its own file system within the pool, and the pool has 28 gigs available. ZPool list shows 48% fragmentation. Any thoughts? Otherwise, what should be the, my next step trying to understand this behavior? I feel like I need to become more knowledgeable before bugging the NetBSD community, who, unlike you guys, may not benefit much more from questions from the lazy and uninformed. Ah... Uh, <laughs> So, okay, that's that's really not a good uh, throughput for uh, like 200 milliseconds RM deer. Uh, maybe you've set a, a big compression level and it's just chugging along and can't do much about it and that slows it down. But I'm thinking it's probably uh, because of the disk that's very slow. So ZFS can only do so much on it. Uh, if you set a, a compression ratio or compression rate or not compression algorithm more like like LZ4, if that's available on NetBSD's version of ZFS, then it will have an earlier board feature where it finds, oh, it can't compress this block to a certain percent, then it will stop the compression and that speeds up the, the writes. But if it can compress, then the IO uh, chain can put in many more files than just a single one. And that should uh, increase throughput. So check if there's any weird compression settings you have. Uh, then try it without, like instead of a set uh, compression equals uh, none. And uh, that could be a, a thing. But I'm fairly sure it's also because uh, it's not ready for prime time yet. It's still in other development. I, I mean, I, this seems like a great thing to debug, but it looks to only be like a 200 gigabyte hard drive. I would just replace it with an SSD. Yeah, these are <laughs> fairly cheap these days and there's adapters for all the laptops to make them uh, work. I, I mean, it, it's really good to run old hardware, but if when you're trusting stuff to your drive and it's old and slow, um, I'd put mm. in an SSD. I think it would speed and it gives up. you. 
a very fast speed. Yeah, up, and the problem is like. there's no there's no sense if this is like a change that's happened, and there's no data from before. Um, it might just be that the drive is dying slowly. Could be, but smart CDL would have probably uh, told them that. So yeah, even if uh, if it's a good file system with very fast, if it's old hardware, then can only do so much. I'm not sure if Alan has a better recommendation. Yeah, for me, it's really difficult to tell um, how things... You can't really test performance in isolation. You can only test differences. And if there's Especially no when difference. CVS is running. Yeah. Uh, it's probably I.O. bandwidth that's not there. So it has to delay stuff. But, I mean, if you replace the spinning drive with uh, SSD and it's still slow, then you can shake the laptop and just be angry at it and it'll be fine. <laughs> then the bits fall out. <laughs> Don't shake the laptop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if you're interested in ZFS, then maybe get a newer hardware and play with that a little bit. Yeah, so may maybe, th maybe there's someone that uses more ZFS and NetBSD that could write in um, with a reply as well because there might be NetBSD related debugging or, or known issues. Yeah, that's good. So maybe they have still some debugging uh, symbols activated that makes it slow, or they don't and people report good performance, then it's probably the, the age of the laptop. But yeah, no, ask the NetBSD list. I mean, they, uh, I'm sure they'll give you some advice. It probably won't be shake the laptop, but yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, give you some yeah. advice. Or at least get some, hey, is this normal? Or as everyone else has uh, experienced this. So yeah, then congratulations uh, or uh getting to our first episode of the new year at the end uh, we will always ask you at the end to send us feedback and questions otherwise the section we just had would be very empty and feedback at bsdnauto.tv is the address where you can reach us you can also find us on twitter bsdnauto.tv so twitter.com slash bsdnow or check out the patreon page where a couple of people already put in a dime or two into our little tip jar and so that also keeps us doing these episodes for you next week there will be another and until then uh happy new year again <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm gonna i'm gonna go and re record a poem and and uh, when we're done with better i'm gonna record a burns poem and jt's gonna put it excellent in. yeah do or, that. or it will be patreon only who knows jt can decide yeah. oh, oh jt can decide better. so if you, if you get a poem then <laughs> dramatic reading jt decided he couldn't be bothered logging into the patreon interface <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy new year I hope everyone has a great uh, computing year <laughs> yeah I'm fairly sure it will be <laughs>